Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation, the podcast to support your spiritual revolution. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Joshua Cameron. Joshua is an elite trained master healer whose purpose is helping those who have lived with chronic debilitating pain find relief and begin living their lives with joy, gratitude, and a renewed energy. Joshua is blessed with a gift that has helped his clients heal from chronic pain due to compacted spinal vertebrae, arthritis, severe heart conditions, and even cervical dystonia, relieving extreme pain for many cases. Joshua has overcome his own struggles with PTSD and chronic pain. I think you're really going to find Joshua's healing journey interesting. He has a pretty unique style to his healing modality. I'll let you hear about that straight from him in the episode. It's a fairly intellectual approach, which seems very aligned with his journey. I love his humility as he takes us through the aspects of himself that he needed to shed along the way in order to grow and come into his gifts and capabilities. I'd love to know what you think about this and other episodes. Feel free to reach out to me at kara at karagoodwin.com. I also very much appreciate your ratings and reviews. It takes just a moment, but it really means so much, and it helps encourage other potential listeners to give the podcast a try. Likewise, passing along episodes that have resonated with you to friends and family is deeply appreciated. If you're looking for help or community in terms of your meditation practice, please check out my Healing Hearth community on karagoodwin.com. Join in this group of amazing souls for powerful online meditations, an extensive library of guided meditations, and so much more. And now, enjoy this episode. So welcome, Joshua. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Oh, hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the space that you put on here. Thank you. I'd love to just talk about or start with how you came into this type of healing work. Mm, well, I mean, it's about as cliche as it comes, right? When the student is ready, the master will appear. And it's something that if I was told, say, say six years ago, I'd be like, okay, fortune cookie wisdom, right? Who can and just dismiss yeah. it. But there's so much truth to that, right? And it's amazing how simple a lot of spiritual wisdom really is. And then if we take a step back, I was very left brain. This is something that you and I were talking about before too. But even Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't know it well enough. And there's a reason why it sounds so simple because it is, doesn't mean it's easy, but it means it, it's simple. And so really relaxing my need to control the world, relaxing my need to demand that the world meet what I think it should look like, that the model of the world that I've created inside my head is exactly the way the world should unfold which is how I spend most of my life. And it's the most frustrating way to live, especially coming from childhood trauma, right? Abuse and physical and mental, but then also P you know, PTSD in the military, right? Can make us very rigid. And when we have that rigid need to control our outer environment, it really starts to create a lot of friction. And that friction can be really like soul stealing almost and just the anxiety that it, it creates. And I never really understood why until I started consuming the Tao Te Ching. It's like, oh, well, look at this. Look at that. Here's a map of why I've lived the way that I've lived and why I've experienced the way I've experienced. And if I can share that with you real quick, one of the, uh, one of the verses there has this idea that, you know, when a man is born, he's soft and supple. When a plant is born, it's soft and pliable. When a man dies, he's stiff and rigid. When a plant dies, it's dry and brittle. 
Therefore, those who are rigid and inflexible are disciples of death. Doesn't mean that you're bad. Doesn't mean that you're good. It just means that you're inviting death where disharmony occurs, where entropy occurs, where all the balance that occurs that, that holds our bodies together starts to break down. All the rules break down and those who are soft and flexible are disciples of life. And again, doesn't mean that you're good. Doesn't mean that you're bad. It just means that harmony that, that keeps this all together, that keeps us working towards something that benefits us, right? That's productive for us happens when you're soft and supple, when you're not needing to control your outer environment. Hmm. I love that. And yeah, as you mentioned, we were talking before about how we both kind of have had to overcome plus embrace and utilize the best of, but the logical mind and the that kind of tendency to be quite analytical. I didn't realize that you had the military background too. So that's definitely going to just by the nature of how that organization thrives is through that demand of like you just, you know, it's it's structured, very, very structured, very rigid. Yeah. And that serves its purpose for for what it, you know, but as an individual trying to be soft and supple, that's a lot to overcome. Yeah. Yeah. A absolutely. So you mentioned that you recognized that you wanted to become more soft and supple or more a student of life. And was this because you recognized that you had PTSD and there was a chronic pain that you were trying to overcome? Was it more of just an inner drive to find out more? Or how did that manifest those that beginning sort of change where the impetus to be looking more at yourself? Mm. Mm. Uh, such, such a great question. My life fell apart, right? Because I had that over demand, that over need to control. I was really drawn to environments where control, where need to control the narrative, need to say, hey, this is, this is right and this is why we're right. And so I was really drawn to politics and I really got caught up in the paradigm of orange man bad. Right after I was working in pediatric medical research for a few years at the University of Utah and Donald Trump became president and I'm working around a bunch of women. And what did the media do? Say this, that the most existential, and, you know, whether that's right or wrong, I'm not really here to say, but you know, the media just over and over and over really creating so much emotional trauma for people that this guy getting in is the worst thing that could happen ever. This is as bad as the comet coming down and blowing up the dinosaurs. And this is the end of all life as we know it. And so people were just so scared. And so afraid. And what happened there, I was like, dun, 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 dun. since I know how to control things, I was riding on my white knight on my little steed here and I'll come save the world because I'm so brilliant, because I'm so smart, because I know exactly how to control. And I didn't realize I was, I was following a, a martyr paradigm. And the martyr paradigm is the idea that I'm, I'm effectively contributing, but I'm not growing, right? I'm going out to help others, but I'm not growing myself because I have no idea how to help myself, how to serve myself. Right. My life might be in shambles, but look how awesome I am that I'm still going out and helping others. And it, going through years of that and involving myself in that really took a real toll, took a toll on my marriage, it took a toll on me being a father. And I experienced the dark night of my soul, you know, not long after that. And then what that did was it helped all the walls that I've erected around me to help keep me safe in this rigid confine. They all fell over and they all opened up. And it was pretty much at that point that I realized, oh, all those walls that I erected to protect myself did nothing but block myself from source. 
and did nothing but block myself from my intuition and just double down on this idea that the left brain is the only thing that matters, right? As if I could just cut my brain in half and just throw away the right side and be like, yeah, I don't need that. And what an absurd idea. And that's what really started me down this path of, again, coming back to Einstein, where he talked about that intelligence is actually marked by imagination, mm-hmm. not by raw intellect, not by computing power. That's fascinating and really interesting, the political connection too, because I resonate with that very much as well, where I was very interested in politics, particularly around that time mm-hmm. with Trump, also with Obama prior, very, very wrapped up in it and really felt that there was a personal, you know, that it was going to very much change my life and the lives of everybody that I knew if it wasn't aligned with what I thought it needed, what I thought progress was. And I was devastated when Trump was elected, to be honest, and but very caught up in that game. And you mentioned about the trauma that that we all underwent. And I didn't have the insight then to recognize that what the media was portraying and the way that I was feeding myself this this narrative of my own personal well-being and how that was tied to election results and so forth. And so I resonate with that a lot. And that has been something that I've loosened up with a lot. In fact, I really don't have a lot of time for politics anymore. But it's really funny, too, because it's kind of this expectation of being a member of society that you're in that, that you have a horse in the race and or a dog in the fight or whatever it is. And Sometimes it's this whole like balancing between the maybe we can call it like the 3D world and the maybe not so 3D <laughs> world. I find that often having one foot in, one foot out of regular society can catch me out sometimes because there can be this expectation that you can have like intelligent conversations about current events in terms of like what the media is telling us at the time and what that what we're supposed to find important and the strong opinions that we're meant to have. And so often I'm like, oh, I haven't heard about that. What is it? People are like, oh, my God, Kara, how do you not know about this major thing going on right now? But but for me personally, it's been definitely beneficial to release myself from that. So I appreciate that very much. So how did that then come up into, it manifest into healing? Mm, yeah. So again, really great question. And so as the walls collapsed, what happened was I started figure, trying to figure out like, okay, I have so much chaos going on in my life. You know, how do I start to organize the chaos? What can I control? If there's so much that's out of control, what can I control? And then a name popped in my head and you know, Jocko Willink, who's not a very spiritual person, or maybe he is in his own way, but he's a former commander of the Navy SEALs. He's got his own podcast. I've seen him on the Joe Rogan show. And it, so I was like, okay, if there's anyone who can help me through a chaotic situation, through a chaotic environment, it's got to be this guy. So I started tuning into him. I was like, okay, I see why my intuition brought me to him. And then eventually he, he interviewed Jordan Peterson. And then this was a great trigger for me because I was very much a leftist when I was involved in politics. And Jordan Peterson was somebody who had 
problematic, quote unquote, views. And he wasn't safe to listen to. He wasn't safe to, to engage with. As, and in, as a left person, do as you a, mean? As a le- yep, as a lefty. Okay. Yep. Uh-huh. And so I had to immediately listen to what other people said about him rather than listen to his own words. And so even though I'd listened to a lot of Jordan Peter or a lot of Joe Rogan and he's interviewed Jordan Peterson, I never listened to those interviews. And so now here I am feeling safe with Jocko and then Jocko's interviewing Jordan and like, well, okay, feel safe. So let's see what he has to say. And it blew my mind. It blew my mind about what he was saying about personal responsibility. And then I started researching him a little bit and I saw that he did a biblical series on secularizing the Bible. And for so long, again, I've just listened to what other people told me that I should think. And don't you know that all the people who are Christians take the Bible literally, and there's no way to look at the Bible except for literally. And so anyone who reads the Bible, they're just a numbskull. And so he started breaking it down in a secular nature and talked about how this is, these are stories that have been passed down for eons, and they're just now able to take these oral stories and there's oral traditions and get them on paper. That makes sense. This is also why they're fragmented and some stories are smaller, some stories are much bigger because they're just trying to get, get across an idea. And the more I started listening to it, I then started to think to myself, hey, is there room for God in my life? And I've come to find that questions are the steering wheel of the mind, right? An answer is what we look for typically, right? As a left brain, hey, what are the answers to life? But an answer does us very little good because an answer is at the end of a path. So we didn't even follow the path, but we got to the end of it somehow. And we start thinking, you can think of lines of like a cheat code, put a cheat code into a video game and you just run through and you're on God mode and nothing can kill you. And you can just go and destroy everything and just ha 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 and get to the end. We didn't really learn anything. You didn't become a better player at that game. And so questions, what they do is they open up a path. And it was maybe a week or two after me opening myself up to this awareness of Hey, is there room for God in my life? Because at this point I was atheist, maybe agnostic at best. And I got a vision of a podium that was pumped in my head. And I knew living here in Utah, I just knew looking at that podium, that meant that I was supposed to be speaking at a Mormon church from the business end of the podium. But it's like, how am I supposed to be doing that? Right? I'm just going to walk in. Hey, Mr. Atheist here. I don't really believe what you guys believe, but I'm here to share my values with you. Right? And I was a little suspicious of it because again, it was so similar to this idea of what I felt in politics. I've got this idea and let me go speak it. I didn't have that rigid need to speak it the same way, but I was suspicious of it because it could easily get me back down to old patterns that did not serve me. And there's an awareness that, that I have now from a Kabbalian, right? Hermetic philosophy. Opposites are the exact same, just a difference of degree which is why I'm no longer suspicious of that feeling because it's the exact same thing. It's just, what's the degree? Is the degree the need to control or is is the degree the need to be soft and just allow it to happen and allow it to unfold? And eventually I found out that the first Sunday of every month is the fast and testimonial meeting where anybody, yes, anybody in the congregation can just go up and speak, whether you're a member or not. And I found that out just by talking to my friends who had grew up in this tradition, who had kind of fallen out. And it blew me away just how this vision that was pumped in my head, I had no awareness of this, you know, and maybe I connected to what some people might call the collective unconscious, right? What Jung had labeled, or maybe I connected to source, but something put that vision in my head. And what that did is it allowed me to really start examining old patterns that didn't serve me. And the patterns in this case were judgment. 
right? So I look at these Mormons for so long, right? The LDS, the Mormons, I grew up in Utah and I got bullied by them a lot. I was a non-believer. I was a secular kid raised that way. Wait, so your family was not the, not Mormon either living no, in Utah? Okay. Not at all. Yeah. So definitely st stood out like mm -hmm. a green thumb and, or a sore thumb rather. And so you, you, now I'm engaging with these people who are very welcoming to me. And again, an idea that really helped me with engaging with them that I got from Jordan Peterson, which blew my mind because I did not think this way when I was in, wrapped up in politics, was just because somebody doesn't have the ability to articulate their point very well does not mean that they don't have a point to articulate. <laughs> you mean I've just been an a-hole this whole time? <laughs> and so it really allowed me to relax. Right. And this is before I really started consuming the Tao Te Ching. And so I found myself walking the way simply by opening myself up to the spiritual path. And by the third time that I spoke there, I had created a editorialized version of my highest ideal of goodness, but not just like, hey, here's my version of God, right? Here's my version of the highest ideal of goodness, but here's my version in such a way that I actually anticipate that I'm going to become this. Mm -hmm. and it changed my life and here I am wow well that is kind of jaw-dropping that just because somebody can't articulate doesn't mean that there's not something there that is to be articulated because yeah. it can be very it's it can be easy for some people to intellectually run circles around somebody and like tear down the beliefs because they've, and it, or you can do this if you're a scholar of the Bible and you hold very literally to the Bible and, you know, you're trying to question somebody's beliefs that are not rooted in that text where it's like, well, but in Luke 2, 16, it's, you know, or whatever. And yeah. that could happen to me very easily because I'm not a scholar of the Bible. But I'm a very spiritual person and I have a very strong connection with spirit. But you could, I could get my butt kicked in some sort of philosophical debate where if somebody wants to quote a bunch of philosophers or bi biblical passages or whatever, but it's like, but I know what I know and I've experienced what I've, I've experienced. And you can quote to me things that may try to invalidate what I know I've experienced, but doesn't change my experience, you know, or yeah. my knowing or whatever. So that's, that is really powerful. So because you are a master healer, I'm really curious as to how the more of the philosophical, the intellectual, like how that gave way and, you know, opened you up, then how, where does the healing part come into that, mm -hmm. into your personal story? Yeah. Again, great question. And so I, as I was doing this and as I'm engaging in this, and I was very free with the LDS that I don't believe in their dogma. And in fact, if you look at dogma, D-O-G-M-A, and you flip it backwards, it's A-M-G-O-D, M-God. And so wow. again, opposites are the exact same, just a difference of degree. So I can take it rigidly and I can take it for the letter of the law and have dogma. Or I can take it for the spirit of the law and I can have God and I can mm. become God, become my own version of God or my own version of the greatest ideal of goodness, which, you know, for me was Gandalf. And if you 
look at Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings, specifically the movies, not that I have anything against the books, but you know, the movies are just so much easier and much more accessible, I think for a lot of people. And what made Gandalf so special is that he saw what nobody else could. And that was that the hobbits had the ability to save the world, right? You look at the Rohirrim, right? The horse lords, right? These hobbits, they're not, they're not riding horses. They're, they're not fighting in wars. They're not building castles, right? What need do we have of them? These little, these little children people. And same thing if you go to Gondor. What use do we have of these three foot tall little halflings? Come on now. But what Gandalf realized is that what holds great evil at bay is actually one that, that small act of kindness from one person to another that's just unfolded throughout a population. And so it was actually the love of humanity, the love of living life, the love of self, and just love in general that inoculated Frodo and made him very resilient against the ring, but then it also made Sam immune to the ring. And that's what Gandalf saw, that nobody else could see, that love is actually what's most powerful. And so it, and if you take a step back, like, okay, let's intellectually look at what is Gandalf. Gandalf is a wizard, right? So somebody who knows magic. But then Gandalf also is somebody who knows wizardly ways, quote unquote, which it's also, you know, deep philosophy. He's got these ancient tomes, access to knowledge that not necessarily everyone could. Within what, six months of me creating that highest ideal of goodness, again, when the student is ready, the master appears. And then Peter Sage, I don't know if you're familiar with him, mm -mm. but he came into my life. He, he actually first started as a trainer with, he started on things before that, but with my awareness and the things that I liked about him. Started the trainer with Tony Robbins back in, I don't know, it was like 2002, I think. It was like the youngest trainer for Tony Robbins at the time. And Tony is somebody who's really good at taking somebody who like feels like life happens to them, like, and they're a victim to getting them off their butt and getting them to go take on the world and then making things happen. And what Peter showed me was the step above that, which is not just, hey, I'm going to make it happen no matter what, but I'm going to get in tune with the flow to allow it to happen to allow myself to, to, in the same way that I was brought to him, right? Just by opening myself up to this spiritual path, he showed me just how far that rabbit hole could go. And so now I'm getting these, the ancient knowledge. We're going through spirituality, consciousness, but not just consciousness like, hey, here's some woo-woo stuff, but here's consciousness broken down by Tom Campbell. And Tom Campbell, who's one of the, found, the founding scientists from the, for the Monroe Institute, right? That taught the CIA. And so like, this isn't just somebody sitting around and not that I have anything against sitting around and getting in tune, but that it's hard to quantify that, right? Mm -hmm. And so he really gave us so much of the left brain and the right brain to have that harmony and to be able to, oh, okay, I see how this works. And a, a mentor of his, Ed Stracher, who actually taught him. And then about three months into learning from Peter, he put on a webinar and hosted a webinar with Ed Stracher. And I met Ed and it blew my mind. I wasn't quite ready to hear what he had to hear. And, but I, I was already past the idea of judging, right? Cause I realized the wisdom of what Jesus said. He said, judge not lest ye be judged. It's not that I judge you and then your life falls apart. Cause who cares, right? Who cares if Joshua judges Kara, really? The, the warning there, right? The cautionary tale there is that judge not lest ye be judged by the very judgments that you are casting upon others, because we cannot we cannot come to the world except from a place of who we are. And no matter how much we try, we can't give anything that we don't have. And so when we are judging others, that's a warning to say, hey, 
that's actually what's going on in ourselves. That's how we view ourselves. When we're triggered by others, then that's actually a warning to say, hey, this is where you can be mind controlled, right? Coming back to Donald Trump, right? This is how you can be mind controlled right here. That's so maybe very thankful. And so here's this guy trigger me left and right. Like he's a healer. Like what? <laughs> and start talking about things that I had no familiarity with. And I decided to suspend my need to judge, just keep an open mind about it. And what was interesting was, so I'm listening to this guy, just mind blown, don't really know what to say. And in the middle of the webinar, it's like, hey, I, I got to go use the bathroom. And when I'm in there, I hear a clunk. It's like, oh, that's weird, whatever that was. And so when I come out, I see my Gandalf statue on the ground. So he'd fallen, on the, he'd fallen off my bookshelf onto the ground and broke his left foot, the same ankle of which I'd had a lot of chronic issues with. I was like, what? <laughs> Whoa. Right? And, and then, so I'm thinking about Ed and I'm like, there's, there's something about this guy. And as I quieting my mind, thinking about him, I've been following Sadhguru for a while up to this point. And I heard in my right ear, an audible whisper from Sadhguru saying, life is about experience. He's like, oh, okay, I get it. Because for so long I lived in that logical frame. That's like, I was very much akin to like a little kid folding my arms, being like, no. I don't like those vegetables that I've never tried, right? And no, that idea that's unfamiliar to me, therefore it has no value because it doesn't make sense. And what's really helped me with that is Niels Bohr. Again, I love mixing mysticism with science. Niels Bohr is somebody who worked on quantum physics back in the Manhattan Project, had daily conversations with Einstein. And his son was very confused one day, wrote him a letter and Niels Bohr wrote him back and he said, you're not thinking, you're just being logical. Like, <laughs> man, that's been me for a long time. Mm, wow. So in terms of your, let's talk about like your healing modality and yeah. some of the ways that you've been able to help people, because I know that you've helped a lot of people with chronic pain mm -hmm. and some pretty debilitating issues. So tell us I believe it's the Miracle Healing System. Is this so, correct? Yep. So the Miracle Healing System, and we're always adding, we're always growing, like all of us, right? If we're not growing, well, then we're stagnating. And so now I've learned because of my love of the Tao, I've broken it down a, a little bit more simply to make a little bit more sense and to the Ching, C-H-I-N-G, just like the Tao to Ching. And so in order for me to heal others, I first had to heal myself. In order to heal myself, I first had to figure out how can I heal? And part of that is I was so focused, right? Coming back to Donald Trump. I don't like Donald Trump. I'm going to oppose Donald Trump. Well, in the Tao Te Ching talks about if you give evil nothing to oppose, not necessarily that Donald Trump itself is evil, but the ideas that I have around him, right? If you give evil nothing to oppose, it'll go away on its own. Not because it's not there, but because you can step out of the way. Right? And so now I'm in this place where Instead of focusing on what I don't want, now, what if I focus on what I do want, right? If a NASCAR driver doesn't want to crash into a wall, he doesn't focus on the wall. If he focuses on the wall, we move in the direction of our focus. That's just simply human nature. Not only that, but we also magnify our focus, right? People who've never heard of Donald Trump, like what? People who have heard of Donald Trump or are caught up in the media think of this outrageous existential issue, right? And, and then health of my body, right? I had to learn how to eat better, how to treat my body better with the food that I ate, but also my mind treat my mind better by the information that I consumed. 
and then treat my soul better by being able to attune to it through meditation, quiet the mind and actually tap into that, that, uh, that higher state. And then the I is the I am. I was so caught up in my me, right? My, my body, my me, I thought that this is all there is. But then I realized, oh, you know, who I am, right? The greater I am is far bigger than just my body. And understanding that and allowing that to happen and allowing the awareness to go to that space and then be filled with your intuition, right? You don't need to tell yourself who you are. You can ask, hey, who am I? And as you say, who am I? The same way, hey, do I have room for God in my life, right? Then, it then you can start to allow things. You can start to allow improvements coming into your life, healing to come into your life simply by asking better questions. And uh, N is for non-negotiables, right? Where am I dogmatic? Where do I have non-negotiables in my life? Where am I so rigid, right? That rigid need to control where I can relax and I can be soft and I can be flexible. And then the G is goodness, right? What is your highest ideal of goodness, right? So this is all based off personal, my, my, my personal history. And so now I've been able to take others through that as well, as I've learned, as I've taken them through their process. And so the modality itself really comes down to meditation, because again, if we come back to the Kabbalion, as above, so below, as below, so above. If we, if our body is sick and in pain, most likely that's due to lack of flow in our lives. That can be because we're eating bad food. That could be because of just maybe we're living a lazy life. That could be because we've got a lot of clutter all around our house that we haven't really been picking up and haven't been taken care of in our mind, right? Where are we focused, right? Probably things that if there's clutter in the, in, in our 3d world, where well, there's probably a lot of clutter in our mind and our minds probably clutter with ideas that don't serve us. And what happens when, you know, all energy needs to flow and if energy is not flowing, well then just like water, if water's not flowing, it starts to stagnate and what's attracted to stagnating water will mosquitoes and parasites are. And what do mosquitoes and parasites do? Well, they drain our lifeblood and they bring disease, right? And what most people do when they have mosquitoes flying about them, they're flopping their hands around trying to attack these mosquitoes. What are mosquitoes attracted to in the first place? Our carbon dioxide output. So if you're flopping your hands around, it gets your heart rate going, which gets your breathing more, which means that you're actually feeding the problem, right? On a spiritual level, because as below, so above, then, you know, there's going to be these parasites, and these mosquitoes in a spiritual world. And this is, it's important for people to understand that this is a, right? This isn't the territory. I have not actually seen with my own eyes, these mosquitoes, these parasites, but as I use this map, the same way that I use GPS, right? GPS isn't a road that I drive on. It's a map to help me get through the territory. So as I use this map, it helps me guide myself and guide my clients through this territory and help them reinvite flow into their soul. Cause the soul, the great I am right? That is the superset. What's below the superset is the subset. So the superset, the soul is the governing agent of everything downstream, which is the mind and the body. And if these, if there's no flow or there's blockage in the flow where we're stagnating in our soul's energy and we're attracting these mosquitoes and these parasites, they drain the life force, not just the life blood. And the life force is drawn, is being drained. Then the body and the mind break down as a natural consequence. So what I do is I heal the life force. So then the body and the mind as above, so below the body and the mind can heal as a natural consequence. That's really interesting. So I, so it's really in your method, it's really a belief system change with people. I mean, that's part of it. 
to get that. So it's, uh, I guess when I think a lot about healing modalities, you know, there's, there's Reiki, there's lots of different types of hands-on healing. Mm -hmm. Um, there's like the power of intention setting manifestation, things like that, but it's not always necessary for the person to even know about the healing or because you can pray for other, you know, there can be groups mm-hmm. praying for for people who don't even necessarily know they're being prayed for. There've been some fascinating studies on that. But also with with some healing modalities, you know, like hands-on healing, it's it doesn't really require change of that person, so to say, so to speak. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's interesting with this is really kind of you know, it, it's the change, the person kind of choosing to make those changes within their belief structure and the way that they're living their lives. So there's a lot of empowerment with that, I guess, is my point, where there's this yeah. like drive within the person to say, okay, I know that I'm a complete being. And I've got this physical part of me, I've got the emotional part of me, I've got my thinking mind. But there's something beyond that, and it's that getting that all into aligned and getting that all coherent and complete so that healing can be facilitated. Would that be kind of accurate? I, I like the way that you put that. And because really it comes down to our governing beliefs, our identity, right, is how we show up. And every other belief falls under that umbrella. And if the reason why I like to help people, like, like you said, many modalities, they, they don't choose to have that, that change in the belief system. And I don't necessarily need to have others do that either, but I don't want my clients to need me as training wheels their entire life. Mm -hmm. I want to help them become better because if they drove into a ditch and that's what got them sick, yeah, I can get them out of the ditch, but if they're still exhibiting the same behaviors that got them into a ditch sooner or later, they're going to find themselves right back into a ditch. So like you said, it's all about empowerment. And if they can start to examine their governing beliefs and examine, hey, who am I? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up? Well, again, these empowering questions can really help guide them to becoming the best version of themselves. And when we allow that flow to happen, well, then we'll find that thinking comes much easier. We'll find that our, what we think about will be drawn to things that are much more productive for us. And then the way in which we interact in the world, right? We might just find that the clutter that we have around manifesting in maybe in our house, in our car or whatever, might just find that it starts harmonizing itself just piece by piece by piece, one step at a time, just simply by the way that we're now showing up and the way that we identify. And if we identify as that, and that's the belief structure, healing really is a matter of faith. And if you identify as that, and then that's it, a lot of that work is done for me. I don't have to force you to believe. And the meditation really is to get the mind out of the way, right? The Tao Te Ching talks about how thoughts weaken the mind because the mind is meant to be an antenna, right? The heart is constantly sending signals to the mind and the mind usually just stops it right there because we're so caught up in this Newtonian paradigm and this logical paradigm where that doesn't make sense. Oh, let's throw it out, right? We don't need that. That's not useful for us. But when we allow the mind to just channel that energy, the heart's sending signals to the mind in the mind, we already know through physics, we already know that the mind actually can interact in more dimensions than our body can. And so when we allow that heart-mind coherence, that's when the magic happens. And mm-hmm. so uh, quieting the mind through meditation, 
really allows for that that soul healing to occur. I love that. So, I mean, you, you are sort of touching on this, but I'd like to specifically ask about memories and stories and what this has to do with physical pain. Mm. Yeah. So again, a really good question. And so whether you read The Body Keeps the Score by Besser van der Kolk or listen to Gabor Mate or all sorts of modern neuroscience, psychologists, even physicists, physicists right? I think it was Stanford that did a study on thoughts and measured the electrical impulses of thoughts as well as with words. And words are a hundred times more powerful than just thoughts alone. And so often, especially as Americans, we really fetishize this idea of we're our own worst enemy, right? We're our own worst critic. And if your own worst critic or your own worst enemy, that's not somebody there to help you. That's somebody there to tear you down. So if something bad occurs, instead of somebody wrapping their arm around you, like, hey, man, I totally get it. Hey, I get that there was a mistake made. So let's examine, let's have an after action review, see what went wrong, see what went right, see how we can adapt and overcome. Now, instead of that, it's like, oh, I'm just so stupid. Oh, I'm just so dumb. So what it does is starts reinforcing that, that negative belief, reinforcing that negative energy, reinforcing that, that negative experience. And instead of allowing us just to process it and allow it to flow, right? Just like if I put a, a food coloring drop into a, a river, right? It's going to disappear because it's going to flow with it. But if I put it in a cup of water, it's going to stay there. And so what we do is we hold on to that. When we hold on to that, the body's only got one way in which it can communicate to us, right? Through feelings and emotions. And if our experiencing pain, isn't that something that you can feel? Mm -hmm. And so that's the body's way of, uh, of basically turning on the dash light on a car, saying there's something not right here. It's not your body trying to punish you, but most people are like, oh, my, you know, my stupid back. Oh, it hurts again today. Oh, my stupid neck. Oh, my ache and neck. Well, if I was your neck, I'd probably hurt too if you talked to me like that one. And when we start to understand that everything is a spirit, everything has a, a spirit of relationship. We even talk in these ways, but we don't really take, take time to, to process that. Spirit of the knee, spirit of the neck, spirit of the shoulder. How are we treating it? How are we treating our body? Are we thankful to our body for what we put it through? Especially if we hurt ourselves, like, oh my gosh, hey, thank you for letting me know that this is not something that I should do, that now I'm actually going into the realm of where things might be dangerous for turning on that light that says, hey, check your engine. But most people are like, check my engine, you stupid light. Why should I check my engine? I'm just going to keep driving off. Well, look at this thing. Here I am just minding my own business. Now it's telling me to check my engine. But yeah, because what happens if you don't? Your engine may seize. And then you're, you go from a maybe a $200 problem to a $5,000 problem. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Joshua, this has been really uh beautiful discussion. I've really appreciated it. Can you please tell us how people can connect with you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening to this and you identify whether it's pain in your body or like me dealing with my childhood trauma or my PTSD, you can reach out to me at freemefrompains.com. And what we can do is you'll see where you can book a, a, a healing plan. We can have a, a short talk and what we can do is just get some clarity. Again, help you focus on what it is that you do want, not what it is that you don't want. And then we can move from there and see how we can go ahead and help you find a place where perfect health is a natural state by showing up as that great I am, by actually healing that superset. So the subset then will also heal as a consequence. Beautiful. Well, thank you again so much. I've really, really enjoyed this. 
Aw, yeah, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you holding the space for this. And that has been a lot of fun for me too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love to ask you for one quick favor, and that's to share this episode with one person who you think will benefit from it. Let them know you're thinking about them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.